Thanks very much, Dan. You might like to turn to Romans chapter 10 uh, now. Just turn back, to Ro- turn, for- uh, turn forward to Romans chapter 10. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for breathing your scriptures. And we pray now that the words we have heard and the words that we hear would teach, rebuke, correct and train us in righteousness so that we may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of the realities of ministry is the assessment of your performance. Um, Here at college, we give you grades, we give you marks to certify what you've achieved in your learning. Uh, In ministry, we use organisational workplace models to organise and measure ourselves. We even adopt secular workplace language, don't we? We talk about ministry jobs and job descriptions and performance reviews. And that's not wrong. Uh, We need to have the right people in the right places. We need to measure competency in order for that to happen. And all of us need to be held to account for what we do and how well we do it, especially if we're receiving money for ministry work. But of course, there's a real danger in all of this, isn't there? And that danger is that our structures, our organisation, our language uh, and our daily decision-making can train us into habits of thinking. And if we're not careful, we can start to define Uh, our ministry in terms of performance, to make our own achievement central to what we do and to think and act as if what really matters in ministry is what I have achieved. Uh, This is the second in a three-part sermon series on Romans 9 to 11 and uh, in this series I'm focusing on humility uh, and I'm drawing out some deep theological reasons for humility, especially humility in ministry. And in Romans chapter 10, uh, there's a key reason for humility, and that reason is based on the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So my big point today is this. Since the gospel is about believing and not achieving, our ministry is about speaking and not achieving. I'll say it again. Since the gospel is about believing and not achieving, our ministry is about speaking and not achieving. These truths are fundamental to Romans chapter 10. And Paul expounds them here in relation to his own apostolic ministry over against his own people, Israel. And there's a core contrast in Romans chapter 10 between Israel's performance and what Paul was doing in his own gospel preaching ministry. Here in Romans chapter 10, Paul's continuing his anguished discussion about the failure of his own people, his own kinsmen, Israel, to come to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. So verse 1, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is for salvation. So Paul knows there's a real problem with the majority of his his fellow Israelites. It's a tragic failure. It calls for prayer because it's a a salvation issue. It means they are still under God's judgment. But what is this failure? Why have they failed exactly? It's not because they weren't committed Verse 2, Paul says, I I testify about them that they have zeal for God. The word zeal means passionate commitment to God's cause. Uh, The word group describes Phineas in numbers, you know, Phineas who was so committed to Israel's purity against idolatry and immorality that when he saw an Israelite man and a Midianite woman in the act, he ran a spear through them both. That's commitment, isn't it? That's zeal. It averted the disaster of God's judgment. So if it was a matter of commitment, 
Israel can't really be faulted. Paul's fellow Israelites have zeal. Now, if salvation were by allegiance alone, then Israel would be perfectly fine. Uh, their allegiance is with God. They're committed. They're zealous. But still, there's a problem. They have zeal, but not according to knowledge. There's something about their zeal that's out of step with reality, with knowledge. What's the problem? What's the problem with their knowledge? It's not that they're committed to the wrong God, is it? No, the God of Israel is the true God. It's not that they're not committed enough. You know, it's not as if they, they just need to work harder to be saved. No, the problem, the knowledge problem they have is a problem concerning righteousness and justification. See verse 3. For being ignorant of the righteousness from God and seeking to establish their own righteousness, they did not submit to the righteousness from God. This is a callback to the issues that Paul's already carefully laid out in Romans chapter 3 and 4. This is about justification. It's about righteousness before God. And the issue is Israel was seeking to establish their own righteousness instead of receiving righteousness as a gracious gift from God, as we see earlier in Romans. So the issue was not their lack of commitment. The issue was their reliance on that commitment as the very thing that made them right with God. And that is a knowledge problem because it comes from a lack of knowledge about various things, but here, in particular, the law of God. Verse 4, Christ is the goal of the law for all who believe. And again, this is the callback to Romans 3. The purpose and goal of Israel's law was to convict and bring the whole world to justification in Christ. In the following verses, Paul spells it out. You see, the law testifies to two kinds of righteousness. The first kind is the kind of righteousness that comes by the law. Verse 5, for Moses writes of the righteousness that comes by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. Now, this is about achievement. Doing what the law says leads to eternal life. And Moses did indeed write this in the law, in Leviticus. And this note of achievement is certainly a tune you hear in the Lord. It was a tune that was heard loud and clear by many Jews in Paul's day. And it's a tune that leads to works and commitment and zeal. But remember, this zeal is not according to knowledge. Why? Because there's, a very, there's another very important voice in the law. It's a prophetic voice. And in fact, it's a voice that is only heard properly and truly and finally and clearly in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a second kind of righteousness, a righteousness by faith, by believing. You know, that believing and faith are the same word. Verse 6. The righteousness that is by believing speaks this way. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend to heaven, i.e. to bring Christ down, or who will descend to the abyss, i.e. to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The message is near you, in your mouth and in your heart, i.e. the message of faith, that we preach. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For in the heart one believes for righteousness and with the mouth one confesses for salvation. So this righteousness by believing is a voice that speaks in and through the law. What does it say? First, righteousness by believing is clearly not about achieving, is it? That's 
uh, what we see here. It's not about great feats. It's not about going up to, to get Christ. It's not about going down to the dead to bring Christ up from the dead. It's not about our achievement at all. It's about believing in God's achievements in raising Christ from the dead. And therefore, closely connected to this, this righteousness comes through a spoken message. It's a message about a person. Jesus is Lord. That's how we are saved, through this gospel message. This message is not something for our hands to achieve. We're saved by the heart and the mouth. It's for our hearts to believe and our mouths to confess. The mouth and the hearts. By taking on board that message, Jesus is Lord. And brothers and sisters, this is fundamental to us and our salvation and our assurance of salvation. If you're not clear on the Bible's teaching on justification, yet you must be. Make sure you are. Because this is not only important for our own assurance, it profoundly affects our ministry as well. You see, ministry is fundamentally about the gospel. And the gospel is something that we proclaim, not something that we achieve. If we don't get this clear... We assume or just act as if our ministry is all about what we achieve. We can end up communicating the idea that salvation comes through achievement. Think about your interactions with the people under your care in your ministry. How much do you focus on their activities? When you spend time with them, how much do you focus on being on rosters? Serving. Yes, it's right to encourage people to serve. But is their serving the main focus of your chats with them? Because if it is people will learn that they are justified by their serving. That's what you'll teach them, even if you don't mean to. When people ask you, how's life going? How's church going? How's ministry going? How's college going? If the first word that comes out of your mouth is busy, what are you communicating? It communicates the Christian life and ministry is about being busy. But the righteousness by believing is not about being busy. It's about someone who has been busy for us. It's not about doing, it's about someone who's done it for us. It's not about achieving, it's about someone who's achieved it for us. Can you bring Christ up from the dead? No. You're saved by believing that God has raised Christ from the dead. That's what Paul's saying here. And that's what we confess. We're saved by having this gospel truth in our hearts and overflowing on our lips. We're saved through a message about a person. We're not saved by a law stipulating an achievement. We're saved confessing and believing that message. And this is for everyone. It's not just for Israel. This message is a message to be proclaimed and believed and confessed by all. Verse 11, the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be ashamed. But there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, who is rich towards all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Again, do you see, we are saved by calling on the name of the Lord, believing, confessing, not achieving. And how does that affect our ministry? It affects it profoundly. In fact, Paul then goes on to demonstrate how that affects ministry. In the following verses, there is an inescapable logic. This is where Paul joins the dots from righteousness by faith to gospel ministry. You see, the very nature of gospel ministry itself comes from the nature of the gospel. Verse 14. How then will they call upon one in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in one whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without preaching? And how will they preach unless they are sent? 
As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of good news. So friends, this is like Paul's very mini gospel-based ministry and mission course. Paul is saying the gospel shapes ministry. How? Why? Well, here's the, here's the logic. Salvation does not come from doing something. That's what he's shown. It comes from calling upon a particular person, Jesus Christ. And if you're going to call upon a particular person, you need to believe in that particular person, Jesus Christ. You need to believe things about him, some very important facts about him, particularly that God has raised him from the dead, that he is alive, that he is Lord. And that means you need to actually hear an actual message with actual content about this actual person. And what does that mean for the nature of ministry? It means that ministry must be about proclamation. You need people to preach the message. And even more, since this is a message for all people, those preachers need to be sent to all people. Martin Luther once famously wrote about justification by faith. If this article stands, the church stands. If this article collapses, the church collapses. Why? Well, here's the logic. Romans 10, justification by faith is the foundation and reason for preaching. Justification by faith is the foundation and reason for mission, which is about preaching to all people. If salvation would be, were by achievement, then ministry would look very different, wouldn't it? You see, a, a, a ministry based on justification by works would mainly involve helping Christians to be good people. So Christians can be a shining light to those around them, and win people over to the, to the goodness of the flourishing Christian life by our example, wouldn't it? That would be the primary thing you'd do. If salvation were by achievement, then mission would look very different, wouldn't it? Mission would be about uh, achieving God's good purposes through perhaps creating flourishing societies throughout the world. But since salvation is about believing and not achieving, ministry is fundamentally about preaching and mission is about proclamation to all, and going to all, whether that's physically or now we can do it virtually until we can do it physically. Does that mean um, that doing good works doesn't matter in the Christian life? No, not at all. They matter. Doing good works is a responsibility. Doing good works is a privilege. It's a joy. It's a struggle. It's a way of life. If you do wrong, you're contradicting the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Good works are the fruit of the gospel. Good works adorn the gospel. Good works accompany the gospel. But good works are not the gospel. The gospel is not a promise that you will live a life of human flourishing. The gospel is a message about a person who has saved you, a message about salvation through his work and not ours. If we truly understand this, we see why humility is so central to our ministry. Because ministry is not about demonstrating your achievement or your greatness. You're, you're proclaiming the greatness and achievement of another, God. Jesus Christ is Lord. You're just a beggar showing other beggars where to find bread. But that bread is a person. So we need to proclaim that person so others will believe in that person who has achieved it all and join together in calling uh, him Lord with you and be saved. So ask, is that what you're seeking to do when you are preaching? Or are you seeking some other goal, some other purpose? Commending yourself, demonstrating how clever you are, or in your preaching you try to demonstrate the, the greatness of your church, 
or trying to commend the value of Christianity for, for society or, or something like that. No, in preaching, we proclaim him, the one who has done it. In the following verses, Paul deals with some objections to what he said. We don't have time to look at them in detail, just very briefly. Verse 16, Paul deals with the objection, what about those who haven't believed? Oh, yes, people haven't believed. The answer is even the suffering servant was rejected by those he heard. But still he confesses that core truth. Verse 17, believing comes from hearing, and hearing occurs through the message of Christ. In verse 18, he deals with the objection, what about those who haven't heard? And he answers, well, we all know, uh, all know the glory of God and have no excuse, like Romans 1. But still the core of ministry is speaking the message of Christ so that people hear and believe. That was Paul's mission. He was sent as an apostle. And this is what Israel's mission to the nations was supposed to be too. But they didn't realise it since they were caught up with seeking their own righteousness and achievements and inevitably they failed and so they were ignorant and rebellious. This is what Paul is saying about his own fellow countrymen. But still they should have known it's a culpable ignorance and in fact was predicted and determined indeed by God. That's what Paul is saying in verses 19 to 21, the verses that speak of Israel's ignorance. But right at the end of the chapter, there's also a tiny glimmer of hope. There's a hint that there's something more. Verse 19, Moses says, I will make you envious by those who are not a nation and by a foolish nation I will drive you to anger. The fact that Israel is driven to envy by the Gentiles holds out hope. But that's for next week. For now, let's, reason, let's remember our reason for humility in ministry. Since the gospel is about believing, not achieving, our ministry is about speaking, not achieving. Justification by faith leads to proclamation by speech. And that's a proclamation to all, which must drive us to humility in all that we say and do. So we pray. Dear Father, we praise you. We praise you that you are the one who has done it, who has raised Christ from the dead. And we confess together that Jesus is Lord and we pray that you would continue to work in our hearts and our minds so that we proclaim that message, not because we are grace, but proclaiming that you are grace. And we pray that many might be saved through this message. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.